Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Good morning, church. Let's open our word to Matthew 12, 41. In the words of Jesus, he says, The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Thanks, Suzanne. Appreciate it. Well, the last few weeks, we have seen the character of God through the historical account of the prophet Jonah. We've seen that God is a God who is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And we saw that because of God's inward desire for those of us to be saved, he did something about it. He didn't just stay on the sidelines. He actually got involved. He came to this earth in the flesh. Jesus Christ lived a very hard life died a gruesome death, a sinner's death, to pay for your sin and mine. And then he rose from the dead, offering a new life to each of us. And in the book of Jonah, God wants to bring that new life to 120,000 Ninevites. And he wants to use the prophet of Jonah to do it. We've seen God is a God who partners with his people. But Jonah, as you know the story, disobeyed God. God said, go this way. Jonah went that way. And in his rebellion, in his sin, he found the only place left for him was death. Death by drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. And in his moment of death, God appointed, he ordained, he commissioned a fish to come swallow up Jonah to save Jonah and give him a second chance. Because our God is a God of grace. And even though Jonah had gotten himself into his own mess, even though he was paying his own price, sometimes we too find ourselves in a mess that we have caused. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've seen the consequences of our sin, and we find ourselves in the belly of a fish, and yet God brings a fish in our own lives to save us from ourselves, give us a second chance. Or for, for some of us, we may not currently be in or maybe haven't been in the belly of a fish because of our own sin, but a friend, a loved one, a neighbor, a spouse, a boss has put us in a belly of a fish because of their sin. Or maybe just by the fallen effects of this world, you've experienced a crippling disease, a debilitating injury, and God carries you in a fish to keep you safe from the storms raging around you. And then as we saw last week, Jonah wrestled with the answers that God gave him. See, in the belly of a fish, we often wrestle with God. And we cry out to him, but when he gives an answer, what are we going to do with that answer, especially if it's not an answer that we want? We cry out to God, and he hears us, and he answers us, and what are we going to do? But as our scripture shows us, the story doesn't end with Jonah or with us wrestling. The story moves on. So we're going to do the same. We're going to move on in our story, in the book of Jonah, and in our own lives. So would you join me in a word of prayer before we do that? Lord Jesus, you are a great God. 
You are compassionate and slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And it's your desire that none should perish, but all should come to everlasting life, even sinners like us, to come to repentance. Lord, we confess that we often forget that in ourselves, in our flesh, we are lying, thieving adulterers at heart, only deserving of eternal damnation and perpetual conscious torment in the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. Yet you, O Lord, have had mercy on us. You have warned us of our coming destruction. You made a way for us to be saved like a man drowning in his own filth. You jumped into our muck and our mire. You have pulled us to your eternal glory and your bliss. How we thank you, Lord Jesus. Would you let the words shared today and the message of our lives not only warn us, but warn others, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, of your coming judgment as well as your coming grace. May we turn to you. Lord, would you speak through me, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and would you speak to and through my brothers and sisters as we go about our week in this community. Lord, let us share your truth and your love with those around us. Be with those who are with us online, with us in spirit. Lord, we trust you. Amen. Well, the story goes on, and so do we. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. We'll be in Jonah. You can uh, keep a a bookmark here. We'll be in a couple uh, passages frequently. Jonah is one of them. Jonah chapter 2, verse verse 10 says this. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and by the way, the fish was obedient to God, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. And then God's message comes to those Ninevites. Yep, 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And that Hebrew word overthrown is the word hapak. And it means to be turned over, overthrown. Or, in a bit of foreshadowing, sometimes it means to be turned around. And the Greek Septuagint translates this word as katastrepho, to be turned over like Uh, Soil is turned over by a plow. And it's the same word that's used of Jesus turning over the tables of the money changers in the temple. There is wickedness and it has to end. And we see the wickedness of Nineveh in God's first call to Jonah back in chapter 1. Remember, this is the second calling of Jonah. Back in chapter 1, Jonah gets his first call. Chapter 1, verse 2 says, God says to Jonah, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. God knows of the wickedness of Nineveh. And at the start of our series, Pastor Josh helped us understand what kind of wickedness the Ninevites had that has come before the Lord. And just to remind us of how wicked this nation truly is, uh, we're going to read a few verses from the prophet Nahum, who gives us a description how God views the Assyrians. So in your Bibles, a little bit to the right, there's a little book called Nahum. It's another prophet. And God says this to the Assyrians, specifically about Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. Nahum 3, verse 1. God says, Woe to the bloody city, completely full of lies and pillage. Her prey does not leave. The sound of the whip, the sound of the roar of the wheel, galloping horses and bounding chariots, horsemen charging, swords flashing, spears gleaming, many killed, a mass of corpses, and there is no end to the dead bodies. 
They stumble over the dead bodies, all because of the many sexual acts of the prostitute, the charming one, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations by her sexual acts and families by her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of the armies. And history tells us that Nineveh was so wicked that they would often amputate the hands, the feet, impale, rip off the skin of their captives. This was a wicked nation. And God sees their wickedness. You know, many of us in this room, we know a few of the names for God. We know the personal name, Yahweh. He's a God of relationship. It's his intimate name. We also, if you were in VBS, we, a couple years ago, we sang a song, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. We learned that God is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. But another name that we see in Scripture, as announced by Hagar in Genesis 16, is El Roy, the God who sees. And if you're in a difficult situation, if you're in a time of distress in the belly of a fish, God sees you. Take comfort in that. But if you are in a time of wickedness, God sees your wickedness. And he has seen the wickedness of Nineveh, and he says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Enough is enough. There is a line in the sand, and Nineveh has crossed it, and God's judgment is coming upon them. But God's judgment isn't only for the Ninevites. God's judgment is for a wicked, wicked world. You know, we live in a wicked world. Our news, our reality, our experience shows us that. And when I was growing up, I would hear my parents, my grandparents tell me about the good old days of America. And now as I'm older and I've studied history, I don't see anything good about World War II, Cold War, Korea, Vietnam, segregation in schools and churches free drugs, celebration of extramarital sex. Those were the good old days. What about now? This is a wicked world. You have 40 days, and this world will be overthrown. And we have the testimony that soon this world will be. If we go to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we have God's testimony of how judgment will come on this world for its wickedness. Revelation 16 says this, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And then we read the description of those bowls. Malignant sores, seasoned rivers changed into blood, the sun scorching men with fire, darkness, pain, a great earthquake that topples the city of the nations, that destroys mountains and turns over islands and a hundred-pound hailstones falling on men and women. This earth will experience the wrath of God. And verse 6 of that chapter says that this world deserves it. And I think this book is right. We do deserve it. But God's judgment isn't only for Nineveh. God's judgment isn't only for this wicked world at large. God's judgment is for you. We see in Hebrews, a few books to the left of Revelation. It goes Hebrews and then James. And you can keep a dog here in Hebrews. We'll be coming back to it quite a bit today. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. This may sound really rude, but this is entirely factual, I promise. You're coming death, 
and your judgment is sure. But are you ready for it? Because not everybody is. We can go back to Matthew, Jesus' words. A scary text. He's, he's calling out to people before him who thinks they were ready for judgment. Matthew chapter 7. If you have a, a highlighter, that means scary verse. This is the one. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. But many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not volunteer in the nursery? In your name, did we not cast out demons? We sang on the worship team. In your name, performed many miracles. We even went on a mission trip to Uganda. But then I, Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The good things that these people did in Matthew 7, their Christian works, their acts of service, didn't save them. And they died at their appointed time, they faced judgment, and they were found wanting. Do you believe that God sees your wickedness? And are you ready to face the judgment seat? And that is the burden of my heart. It's one of your pastors, Pastor Josh's burden, Pastor Perry's burden, that each of us in this room would be ready for that day. You know, I was really scared of this verse when I first read it in high school, and I still am. But then I found an even scarier verse. So let's go there, back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Hebrews 10, 26 says this. Oh, by the way, this is written to Christians, people who are following Jesus, the book of Hebrews. And he says this, For if we, if we as Christians, if we go on sinning willfully, if we do the same sins over and over and over again after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? If you or if I go on sinning willfully, if we see the option to sin or not to sin, and we walk this path of sin over and over, and we just grow accustomed to that, this verse says there is no longer a sacrifice for sins. And that's scary. And there's one more special verse I want to point out, because this one has a specific call for when God's judgment comes. It's in Hebrews as well. It's a fun book. Hope you've read it. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, verse 4, says this, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. If you're married, or if you will someday possibly be married, keep your marriage bed pure. And, and not just a physical purity, not only staying away from physical affairs, it's your mind when, when you see that, that cutie walk past, when you read that book, when you watch that movie, 
when you have thoughts about your coworkers, is your mind, is your heart, is your body pure? Are you keeping your marriage bed pure? Because God will judge. Which brings us to our first truth of our passage today. God's judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming. There is a line in the sand. But here's the thing. God could have wiped out Nineveh long before Jonah ever got there. Remember, he went on this really long detour in the Mediterranean Sea. God could have wiped them out. He could have overthrown them long before. So I grew up, I've been telling you guys a lot about Iowa lately. I grew up in Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa. It's the capital. Uh, shout out to those of you that are watching. Uh, and one of the great things I love about Iowa is everybody has a basement. Anybody ever had a basement here? The basement culture, it's a real thing. It's super fun. And in our basement, we had a ping pong table. And Lord bless my mom, who joins us for this service each week. She played ping pong with me every single night for six years. And I got really, really good. And 10 to 10, I bet I could probably beat you. So if you want to challenge me, I have a ping pong table in the garage. We can go play after, after church. Another thing my family would oftentimes do in the basement, and we would do it all together as a family, we'd usually do it two or three times a year, is we'd get a tornado warning, and then we would all run into our basement, hide behind the freezer, hope a tornado doesn't, doesn't drop on us. But if it did, at least we could still play ping pong, and we were safe. If you've watched Twister, or if you've lived in Torna Tornado Alley, you know that tornadoes can come like that, without warning. But I don't live in Iowa anymore. I don't have a basement. I live in Hawaii. And in Hawaii, we don't have tornadoes. We have hurricanes. And for those of you that were here about two years ago, we had a Category 2 bearing down on Oahu. We saw it coming from the South Pacific. It was on the news. We were, we were watching it come. It turned from a tornado or hurricane watch into a hurricane warning. And we, as a church, had to decide what we would do because it was supposed to land in Sunday morning. And so Sunday morning, we said, you know what? We can't have church if a, if a hurricane's coming. Let's cancel. I think we canceled it on a Friday. So Friday afternoon, I did what any good condo owner does. I go to Harder Hawaii, buy my three-quarter inch plywood. I board up my windows because I saw the coming destruction, and so I prepared for it. Yep, 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And if you've read Scripture, and if you've listened to David Crowder's song, you know that God is like a hurricane. And you can see his destruction coming from miles and miles away. Forty days! But not only 40 days for Nineveh. For those of you good Bible students who actually read through the genealogies of the Old Testament, you may have noticed a guy named Nimrod. After the flood, he was the great-great-grandson of Noah, and Nimrod's name means rebellion. He was a great man, a mighty man, and he built many cities, one of which was Babel. And from the Jewish historian Josephus of the first century, we learn that, that he is attributed with building the Tower of Babel. Muchas gracias, Nimrod, because by his rebellion, we now have a million different languages. And Nimrod continued to go on to build other cities. And one of the cities he built was Nineveh, 2200 B.C., Nineveh is created by a founder who has the testimony that when you rebel against God, God will give you a consequence. That was 2200 B.C. The, Jonah, the Nineveh of Jonah's day, 760 B.C. 
1,440 years that this city, that these people have a testimony of God's coming destruction if they're in rebellion to him. But God was patient. God was patient with Nineveh for over a thousand years. But God isn't only patient with Nineveh. God is patient with a very wicked world. He could have wiped all of us out in the flood. He could have wiped all of us out after Jesus came. He could have wiped all of us out with the bubonic plague, but he didn't. Why? The Apostle Paul gives us the answer in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans eleven twenty-five says that there's been a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. You see, God will end the 70th week of Daniel when the nation of Israel repents. But until that time, God is tarrying. He's waiting until Gentiles, those of us who are not Jewish, can hear God's warning sign and can come to him in full repentance. And God is patient with this wicked world. But not only with this wicked world, God is patient with you. Those of you good Awana students may have memorized Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. Yeah, what we deserve for our sin is death. From the very first moment of our sin, which, by the way, good theology tells us from Psalm 51, happens in the womb. We inherit sin from Adam, and what you and I deserve is death. Yet God has graciously extended 60, 70, 80, if you're like my grandma in Arkansas, more than 90 years of life to be patient with you for you to come to repentance. God is patient with you. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Our second truth from our passage and in your outline today is God is patient in his judgment. God is patient in his judgment. There is a line in the sand, but God is really patient to draw that line. So we've seen that God's judgment is coming. It's coming on Nineveh. It's coming on a wicked world. It's coming on you. But God is patient about his judgment. So what will you do? Well, let's see what the Ninevites did. We'll go back to Jonah. Chapter 3, we have a record of what these wicked, wicked Ninevites did. Jonah chapter 3, we'll just read this starting in verse 4, and we'll see what they did. It says this, Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yep, forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. And then he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and its nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way, and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And then verse 10. 
when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented. Concerning, concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do. They weren't overthrown, but their wickedness, like those tables, was turned over so they could be turned around and follow God. The Ninevites believed God's warning. Verse 5, they, they repented with their hearts, and then they called a, a, a fast. It was a public declaration of their repentance and word. And then they put on sackcloth. They sat on ashes and they turned from their wicked way. They repented indeed. The only right response to the warning that God gives of his coming judgment is to be turned around. Complete repentance in both heart, word, and deed. And week after week, the preacher keeps harping on the Instagram are you still following that girl with the enticing pictures? Are you still scrolling through comparing yourself to all the happy insta-lives? Each week I harp on the, the TV shows and the movies on Netflix. Are you finishing Game of Thrones or have you shut that off? Are you living in fear of COVID and not loving others well because you don't want to be exposed? Are you living in selfish arrogance and unlovingly putting your germs on others when they don't want them. You see, you can either be turned over or you can be turned around, which is our last truth of today's passage. Turn to Jesus before he overturns you. Turn to Jesus before he overturns you. Nineveh repented, and they didn't even know who God is. We look in this, in this chapter, and the only name of God that is used is Elohim. It's not Yahweh. It's not the personal name of God that you and I know. It's the God Elohim, which, which all they know is the all-powerful, the supreme being. They don't know him as you and I know him, and they don't know what he's going to do when they repent. Verse 9, they say, who knows? God may turn. He may relent. But when you repent, you know the character of Yahweh. You know that he is going to relent of his calamity. And what's, what's more is, look at the sermon that the Ninevites had to work with. Yep, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. There's no mercy, no compassion, no call to action. It doesn't even mention God. And yet they repented. God turned away from his wrath like the hurricane did two years ago, and it didn't hit, and we all had a nice, quiet morning that we slept in. Jonah 4.2. Jonah recognizes who God is, and he says that God is slow to anger. He is abundant in loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. Jonah knew God. The Ninevites learned who God was, and you are being invited to follow the example of the Ninevites to be turned around, and to be sure that on your day of judgment, you can have confidence. In the book of Hebrews, I hope you kept a finger there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. This is a good one to highlight as well. Hebrews 10, 19. It says, We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Confidence to enter because of the blood of Jesus. 
by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. On your day of judgment, at your appointed time, if you truly believe in Jesus, and your repentance is true in both heart, word, and deed. By the blood of Jesus, you can be confident that you can stand before his throne of grace. But if you've never followed Jesus, or if you're like those poor souls in Matthew chapter 7 that were doing the works of God but not knowing God, or if you are a follower of Christ, but if you're not following Christ, Jesus has a final warning for you. It's in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 41. It says this, The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment, and they will condemn it. Because they, the Ninevites, repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And you have something greater than the eight-word sermon of Jonah. You have the entire testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you have the Holy Spirit who convicts you of sin, righteousness, and judgment, putting the warning sign out. Make no mistake about it. God is counting. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and four fifths. But that line comes. And your appointed time is coming for both death and death judgment. Don't mistake God's patience for his acceptance. But my brothers and sisters, may the cross of Christ ever be before you. And may you live in the reality that God's mercy triumphs judgment. Will you surrender to his mercy? Would you pray with me? And if you're here and you have never surrendered to the mercy of God, and before you is only judgment, would you cry out to God, would you say, Jesus, I surrender. Please forgive me for the ways that I've done wrong. Thank you for dying on the cross, taking my penalty. And Jesus, please give me that new resurrection life by the power of your Holy Spirit. And for the rest of us, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would fill each of us with your Spirit, that we would submit to your ways, that when we see the option before you of your path or not following your path, Jesus, that we would choose to follow you. Fill us with your spirit. Let us live in your abundant life. How we thank you for your mercy. It's in Jesus' name, amen.